This is Real World Product Management. This is another episode of the Real World Product Management Podcast, and we have Nikolai Chisalin online here today with Irina. Nikolai, can you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Nikolai Chisalin, and uh, uh, thank you a lot for the invitation. I work in the PAM systems um, as a designer, but uh, my actual role more like a product architect. And today I want to share with you some insights uh, from my experience uh, uh, during the time of my career uh, in Epam and before Epam, uh, working on different products. I will cover some insights from mobile applications for like fitness tracker, a like application, healthcare application, a lot of uh, products related to financial industry, and some innovative things that we build inside the EPAM system. Cool. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, um, can you start with healthcare? Because I think this is one of the more relevant things that we all care about right now, given the current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. So talk to me about your healthcare-related products. What did you do? How did you do it? What were the challenges? Uh, it was very interesting experience. It's one of my favorite products I've been working so far. It was a mobile client for the large uh, uh, healthcare institution in New York, uh, probably one of the largest uh, cancer center in New York. And they had a problem. Mm. Actually, I will describe two products. I will start from the mobile, but uh, it was like an open door for another one. Uh, so they struggled with the situation. They, they have they had uh, like a portal, tons of clients, tons of users, but uh, they realized that people don't use uh, features that they had in their product. Uh, And uh, uh, furthermore, they need to push more data and make sure that people gain this data. At that moment for them was crucial to make sure that they will have like remote experience, like when you check in with the doctor, um, check your prescriptions, etc., etc. Today, with all the, with the entire situation of quarantine, it's it's become essential. But that at that moment, it was like. Uh, six or seven years ago, it was kind of a new thing. And I just want to give you an um, uh, overview uh, of period of that time. Um, HealthKit uh, wasn't introduced by Apple yet. Uh, Things that we used on that product for ch- checking um, real insights from end users like TestFlight wasn't bought by Apple. So a lot of things that today is the standard, they were completely new. And it, it, it was interesting, but we had problems like every single day. Even everything uh, was uh, like... Uh, designed properly, I would say properly. Uh, We had a a standard uh, good process of collaboration, etc., etc. We resolve new issues almost every day. Why it's happening? And this is probably one of the reasons why I don't believe in any senior specialist can say, hey, I'm very senior. I will be able to 
uh, ideate and bring product to life with any serious problems. I don't believe to this because if you deal with more or less senior thing, you have a lot of data and you don't control the data and correlations around this data. And as a result, uh, you have a number of issues. For example, uh, how you can handle different business logic around things. And it's not only how to find the proper way to handle the things, it's also, it's always how to do this on a computer level, coding, uh, designing, etc., etc., but also on a business uh, layer, how people uh, transform or interpret different rules. So let's say we have an exception that this um, temperature uh, way far above normal. The prog- uh, the regular programmer say, hey, he, he had 200 degrees temperature. What's the problem? It's not a division by zero. I can show it. Not problem at all. <laughs> For doctors, obviously something wrong. It's kind of impossible, almost impossible situation. And for the business, uh, I mean, for people who are running this institution, it's even bigger problem because they have a number of obligations, legal things, etc., etc. And as you can see, very small thing can um, can trigger much uh, bigger amount of work just to resolve a simple situation with validation of one single parameter. Obviously, uh, not everything so bad as this one, uh, but this is a typical situation where you need to find a quick solution, how to deal with this on all layers. And I can say that uh, it's, um, it's a case in, in many situations, but it happens very often. And uh, in reality, what I can believe when people say, hey, I don't know all recipes for all kinds of situations, but I have an experience how to dealing with them. Uh, product management has many uh, correlated areas like user experience, for example, uh, very interesting and at the same time very difficult areas because uh, when you come to interview, in any organization, expectation on the other end that you already have some serious experience. And most questions, they came, hey, okay, uh, tell me about your experience dealing with the thing. And uh, you can have a perfect education, uh, good, uh, good score in your diploma, but uh, practical experience is something that is essential and these type of things. Back to my example uh, of the healthcare, uh, healthcare application, uh, it's very interesting how people who work on a product try to um, observe it from different angles. And here it's very important, I believe, to establish governance of resolving uh, all kind of questions or discussions at some point because if you don't have established governance of running process or even some meetings uh, eventually you will came to the chaos or just uh, 
stronger voice will win all the time. So this is a kind of experience I've got working on that uh, uh, healthcare application. Make sure that you have a governance. Uh, don't be afraid of problems. And we had a problems like every day. Uh, and I'm talking about just things related directly to the product. Uh, technical issues are separate topic, which is also interesting, but not a part of this conversation. Right. So you're saying you had uh, product design problems around this product or were they uh, more around agreeing to what the design decisions would be or agreeing what the product decisions would be? Give me like a couple of examples of, uh, of these problems. Okay, a couple more examples. For example, uh, when you have a results and uh, let's say uh, you have a... Um, uh, your cardio results, right? Uh, AKG results. And this was a part of that product uh, that uh, you have AKG. Uh, it's not only about the product decision, it's also about details of the product decision. Uh, and let's say on a very high level, somebody said, hey, we want to provide uh, some overview of AKG to our clients, to our patients. No problem. Can you do this in mobile application? Yes. And this is a kind of a high-level decision. Uh, in reality, when you want to make sure that it will be uh, feasible in the product, uh, you need to go much uh, deeper. And when you go deeper, you realize what kind of problems you have. For example, what uh, kind of uh, definitions you need to provide to make sure that you are okay, uh, that you are um, in compliance with the standards that you like text messages like please this is just for you and your doctor security things how you can deliver the things and uh, when you start uh, going deeper it's important to understand your borders borders that you don't want to go too deep otherwise you will be just uh, working on a one perfect feature of the product that we'll never be able to release. And for me, it's about balance, uh, how you can um, deal with it. Let's continue with this example. So I want to have an AKG in my uh, mobile application. Good. Uh, we have uh, some sketches, designs, uh, workflows. Uh, what is the typical workflow for the user? As I mentioned before, we even had a chance to run like early test uh, tests. So we use a test flight. So uh, we had a small group of um, uh, early adopters or alpha testers uh, of our applications. So the good thing that we were able to gain feedback uh, very quickly, but Rather after that, we realized then you, when you deal with the data, you need to have more than just a group of 100 people. And this is a, one of the important uh, takeaways. Then when you work on a product with the data, you need to um, identify common rules and validate, validate more or less common theories because it's not always good when, oh, 100 people say that it works perfectly. What uh, what happened with another 100 or another 1,000? And here we are slowly but surely jumping in the area of the scalability of the product. 
And this is a problem. Uh, I believe that um, many applications, uh, many products facing uh, when they starting on some uh, small use case and rapidly grow. And here it's important to understand the difference between uh, scaling in terms of uh, base of users and scale in terms of data that's running through the product uh, and uh, how this data will affect results that we see through the product. Uh, I think, I'm sorry to interrupt, I think you're you're actually distinguishing two different things. One is the actual scalability, scalability as we all understand it, and the other one is um, uh, scalability uh, of adoption. So the more people adopt it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, sorry for confusion, probably. And this is the, was a perfect example what kind of problems you will have. Because uh, I believe a lot of people who are dealing with the products on different uh, stages, they have a situation, okay, we pass uh, all our the checks, QA testing, uh, positive feedbacks from initial wave of users. But when we can't predict something, and again, life science or healthcare products for me means a lot of data and a lot of regulations. And we have similar areas like uh, geolocation. It's not something that is very restricted, but very similar problems. When you bring product to the life and even initial feedback from relatively large group are positive, just in couple weeks, you can have tons of negative things because once you pass the bigger threshold of active users, uh, results and feedbacks can be completely different. And uh, I just want to give you a couple well-known examples that are related to my situation with the healthcare application. Apple Maps. The initial introduction of Apple Maps, it was something like big revolution. And initial users, they uh, the results of the initial test, focus groups, etc., etc., were super positive. People were very optimistic. But we should remember that most of these test users, they were from Bay Area. And Bay Area initially in Apple Maps were very good. But when people start uh, using this Apple Maps, um, on a regular base, just in a couple of weeks, a number of uh, uh, negative feedbacks, uh, it was outrageous. The same situation we potentially could have with any application, especially if life science, when we be very courteous how we define the process, uh, how we define the feature, what helps, and not I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to tell only negative or uh, very scary things about uh, being involved in product development. It's uh, how you can cover significant amount of negative uh, scenarios. And there are a number of uh, checklists and best practices what you can do in a specific domain areas. And this is where the 
the statement "I'm good in this domain area" uh, matters. So when you become when you a real subject uh, uh, met, uh, expert or you know good people who can help you with this, uh, this is a crucial moment where you need to connect these people. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that because uh, a lot of times. Uh, People think that it's, oh, it's easy to figure things out. And a lot of times they think they know, but they don't. And as a, as a person who built a, a few healthcare products myself, I, I, I can totally relate. As a matter of fact, I'm actually curious. Uh, I was curious to hear your your experience and your opinion, uh, because in my back in my day, when I was building healthcare products, uh, we had two separate UET teams. One UET team was strictly focused on health-related uh, health data to make sure we're not having patient waiting 17 grams or like in your example, temperature of 200 degrees so that data makes clinical sense. And the other UET team was uh, focused on user experience. So they didn't care if the temperature was whatever or the weight was whatever. All they cared about is that it shows up in proper places with proper notation, with proper labels, so that when doctor is used to seeing temperature in, you know, I don't know, top right corner, always, it, it's not suddenly moved to swapped with a pressure, blood pressure uh, in a, you know, bottom left quarter. So that if, if he's looking and, and it's, you know, it's those things that are really important to, to people like doctors. They're not... They're, they're truly users. They're not going to give you ideas about how to make things right because they, that's not what, where the mind is. And uh, it was really interesting to hear how you guys handled it. Yeah, and uh, just to summarize, I want to go through different layers of my particular case uh, so audience uh, can... Um, imagine what could happen with their particular case uh, in their products. So as I mentioned, AKG, from technical perspective, get data, draw the illustration, couple nice functions, that's it. Uh, let's uh, try to look at this uh, from the product uh, perspective and um, your responsibilities as a product manager, what you do. What kind of question you ask? Do we have this data? Do will we be able to provide this data? The things how people will be able to read this data, and more important questions: what it gives to our end users, what kind of value, uh, what kind of uh, cost of operation for us as the owner of the product it will be, and how popular they think. And all of this question is related to a specific area, like marketing. Uh, uh, financial analysis, etc., etc. So the same thing, but it could be relatively easy from technical perspective, and from the product perspective, it become as a separate. Uh, um, uh, I, I can't say like a separate discipline, but yeah, even one feature could be extremely complex uh, when you observe this feature from the product perspective. And of course, uh, when it's quite complicated, uh, chances that you will fail, at least in the beginning, uh, extremely high. So let me let me interject here and ask you this question because I think I think it's an interesting thing to understand and. Uh, it, 
it's not a tricky question. It's really about your experience. On the previous, some of the previous episodes, we've talked about data-driven design, data-driven decisions, or even you know, uh, product managers' gut feeling. From your experience only, we we all agree that you know doing things by the book is not always uh, the best way to do things. What is the way to make decisions? about building features in the product or about building products. Like if in, in I like this example because you're you're talking about features that sound easy for, so if you do um, prioritization based on how easy it is uh, versus how much value it is it probably would pick, it would be picked up but you're saying there might be, you know, danger, dangerous waters uh, up ahead if you do that. So from your experience, how would you decide, and I deliberately say decide, not prioritize, how do you decide what to build and when to build it? Uh, and I want to super, um, kind of um, divide my answer, my personal opinion and reality, because I believe for audience it's interesting, not just uh, uh, one or two opinions, but like some statistics from the reality, uh, from our experience working for different large companies. Uh, so from my experience, I will go like 80-20, 80 based on the facts, like data analysis, marketing analysis, um, some research, uh, deep research results, uh, probably users' cognitive results, etc., etc. And I still keep some room for for the uh, for the hatch. So what my guts tells me, uh, based uh, of uh, working in a specific industry or dealing with the things, because. <clears throat> Uh, I always remind to myself when we build product, it's always more than just a set of features. Uh, uh, when I build a product that for a huge group of people, it's important to keep in mind that you need, need to build a conversation, a community around this. Rather, uh, if you will not be focused on this and will be focused only on the features, uh, you have a great chances that you fail here because product could be good done by the book but nobody will use it and we know these examples uh, from uh, from the world and we know also some uh, examples uh, in our company uh, then one product become more popular than another one and it's reality so my my, uh, my personal opinion 80 20 uh, and 80 it's like cold analysis and data and 20 uh, not just emotions it's more like uh, your gut feeling what will work and what will no do so this is the first part of my answer uh, second part of my answer, reality. In reality, you can come with the perfect uh, justification of the decision why this feature should work. But it's important to understand uh, what is your weight and what is the uh, who who are the players on the table uh, who make the decision? Is it another single ultimate person who made the final decision, or it's a kind of a conglomerate of people who put the like uh, numbers, and after that you have kind of a. Uh, uh, process uh, of the threshold or waiting uh, should you go with this feature or not and fortunately and unfortunately in many cases 
the ultimate voice, the ultimate decision is based not on your scientific research or even on a hunch of the uh, previous 20-15 years of experience, but uh, it's based on something that completely irrelevant to this product. Uh, for some um, company strategy or some personal preferences. And that is why uh, we can see some unexpected uh, things in the products. And uh, very often we see then big companies and not only big companies, they fail with the obvious things because uh, uh, even if I will not work in a product management area, I will ask why they've done this. They are smart people. This is the reason why it happens. And we can observe this every single day. When we ask ourselves why they create this um, interface in the car like this, or why they put this in application, or why they eliminate this feature, uh, very common what we can observe when people decide, when management decided to remove some features and then return these features. This is exactly how it happens. And it's not about numbers. Small table, different opinions, and just somebody have a bigger, bigger voice than yours. That is why it's very important when you do a product management or do a user experience uh, uh, design or redesign of the products, it's important to have a support or at least uh, understand preferences of the people who made the decision. And you need to understand this preference, not to uh, try to adjust to these preferences, but just to keep in reality. Uh, what will definitely not go, or how you can uh, provide your uh, justifications, not just uh, things by book, but uh, taking account reality of management. So let me jump in over here and start asking slightly different questions. Um, in your world and in your experience, you know, we, we kind of really started talking about that, but still, uh, you know, looking back at your experience that you've got in how many positions and how many different companies, engagements, clients, uh, whomever you worked with, you actually had a chance to meet a decision on the particular priorities in the role of product manager. And in how many of those positions you actually were resonating sure that you're orchestrating or making sure that the decision has been made, but then there are some big bodies sitting at the table who are making the final call. Um, I guess this is one of the discussion points that we heard er earlier. Is it um, really a product manager who should decide on priorities? And is it actually happening, especially in enterprise world, when somebody in the role of product manager can decide on the priorities? So looking back at your experience, how was it for you? Uh, um, from my personal experience, I would say that I was quite lucky uh, in terms of uh, more of number of positive decisions or a number of uh, good products. Good, I mean useful products that bring uh, good uh, good value for end users and bring uh, money for the creators of, of these products uh, were built. Uh, I will try to answer this way. If we are talking about small organizations, small companies, uh, 
it's uh, it, it depends on like, and not only small companies as a matter of fact it's very depends on engineering and culture in general inside the company so some uh, organizations huge financial institutions they have a rule that every single voice should be heard uh, it's not always good but uh, at least you know these rules and in this case uh, the and of course they also have ultimate uh, voice in this case ultimate voice make a decision uh, based on some good estimations the opposite to this um, I had relatively small number of cases when uh, people even I mean product people even didn't try to do some proper things by the book because they were aware that management do what they think they should do and management thought that we are smartest people in the room. I would say, based on my experience, and it's more than 15 years uh, in the industry and a couple dozens uh, giant clients uh, and the same amount of smaller, I would say 20% it was about making decisions by management without any consideration of product people. Uh, yeah, it's quite sad, but not so worse statistics. And for for the rest uh, amount of cases, it was relatively fair decisions. But these decisions were by, uh, they choose uh, already good enough options, and they made the decisions based on some higher interest. But again, important point here that they made this decision they, uh, and they choose the solution from already good enough list. So I guess what you're saying here that about in, the, in about 80% of the cases, uh, product people has product people uh, have the power to make the decisions and to kind of dictate the priorities or define the next steps and so on. Yeah, and it's important to understand that even if you think, oh, I'm just a regular product manager uh, and I have a manager and that manager has another manager, uh, we need to understand that this triangle of um, moving from data mm -hmm. to wisdom, right? If you put your best effort to make sure that your results are clear enough for understanding on a higher level. And by the way, this is another very important thing why many things are fail. Mm -hmm. uh, that very bright people, they just can't communicate on the level that higher, uh, that people stands on a higher level in a hierarchy of organization. Um, they simply could understood what people say. So if every single product-related person will do his job on the best possible way, even if he can see this at this moment, he, he intentionally or unintentionally affects on a final, a final decision for the product. Even even if he thinks, oh, I, I told them this feature should fly, and uh, after a number of meetings, uh, his manager tells him, your feature will not fly, but you've done a great job. What the hell does this mean? Potentially, it means that somebody just didn't like your solution. But I was... Um, uh, I was able to observe a number of cases when solution was so good enough that management decided to put this as a 
additional killer feature in the next uh, uh, major release mm -hmm. of the product to make sure th that this great feature uh, will bring not only satisfaction to the clients, but will be a good thing uh, for uh, money-wise. And probably, you know, really last one here for me, do you think that that, that uh, volume of freedom uh, would depend uh, on the domain, on the particular area, on the particular um, company and sphere of business that we are talking about. Because as you said, you know, you've been working with quite a number of different clients and companies and products. And um, I'm just wondering if you ever had a chance kind of to sit back and compare those and see how product managers and their freedom and what they're allowed and not allowed to do um, is somehow differ from industry to industry. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 it's funny that you mentioned this thing. Just recently, uh, I tried to compare, again, uh, cultural perspectives and cultural traditions in different companies. Some of them our clients, some of them not. Uh, but uh, I try to put different organizations in the clusters where product uh, development uh, culture is um, high enough, uh, developed enough uh, to to deal with this. But in some organizations, this uh, culture is exists, but it has a different interface. And this is why I started from the data point. The data-driven products are very standard thing from one perspective, but uh, very often people uh, don't really understand that it works in both directions. I mean, like on the product side and on engineering, and you can easily um, focus on the product features, but continue your conversation on the data or development language with the people who are involved. So I will try to say that uh, I will try to provide a couple examples. Uh, in some organizations, you have a right to say, oh, I agree, uh, I want to continue to work with these features. And you can face uh, higher decision or just the decision of your colleagues that would, we don't want to go with this feature. And you can always have a choice. I don't want to work on this. I want to switch a team or uh, okay, I disagree with you, but I commit. And this thing like disagree and commit is very crucial and important to make sure that organization will continue work efficiently. Uh, from my experience, a number of fails were because people disagree, they didn't commit, and they feel uh, they felt like a personal failure that they suggestion of the features where uh, they stay on a shelf on a table and didn't move uh, to the product. This is not like a, a one case. Uh, this is not only the case when it happens. But this is very often case when people uh, 
when the results of the simple business decision, probably not very fair business decision, what the trigger for problems uh, with the product development. Okay, thank you. That was uh, that was interesting. So I want to move on a little bit uh, because we seem to have stuck on, stuck on uh, just one example of healthcare. Uh, let's let's go with finance. Yes, uh, I, I I want to talk uh, in this case uh, just briefly about the example, and you tell me is it good enough uh, about the application that was very interesting for me. Uh, the application was like a core core component of very huge uh, private investment company, which is also based in New York and many other major cities. Uh, and the, the intention was, we just want to do a lift and shift. And this was a kind of a moment of, I don't know, uh, terrorism or stupidity, uh, when I was able to say to the senior director of this company, uh, we, of course we can do this, we are professionals, but this is a wrong direction. You will spend another X amount of money, uh, you'll have a lift and shift of your product, but you don't solve any problems. And uh, somehow I was able to convince uh, this senior person from, from a client side that we need to spend some time on a discovery. And here is the problem. When you convince somebody, especially on the client side, uh, that you can provide something better than it was before, you really need to do this. Because one of the assumptions that wherever consulting firm, wherever product managers will come to us, it will not help us significant because we know better how to do this. And partially it's right. Uh, if we're talking about financial institution, obviously you will not be able to understand the financial market better than they and, until you're on the same level of understanding. But uh, you need to find the framework, how you convince people uh, on that side uh, to provide you a chance to prove that your process can bring some value. So this is what was uh, done by me and my team. We uh, explained that uh, instead of trying to do like lift and shift on a very huge application, I believe it was more like a couple hundreds of screen. We need to understand like uh, essence uh, of the process uh, uh, to understand your users and what they actually use. And in the end, it was very elegant, uh, tablet-ready web application. In total, it was like six or seven screens. Imagine, couple hundred screens. And after that, like just couple, uh, less than 10 screens. And the funny thing that people were really happy because now learning curve is so small. Uh, yes, we eliminate some functionality that most people didn't use and it wasn't essential, but it was a kind of a happy a story from one end. 
now I will tell you like uh, right right What's the real uh, deal uh, <laughs> the, the real deal was uh, uh, extremely hard work and it's not something like hi we've done a great analysis uh, and uh, we made the magic the magic was like a hard work and the hard work that every single day I need I, I had to fight for another day Every single day I had to fight to have opportunity to continue work on the things. So for the first two weeks, I literally had to fight uh, to be able to continue work on this uh, product for another day. After first couple of weeks, I need to fight uh, less often, couple times a week. But still, the pressure was so high that it's still one of the most difficult uh, projects and corresponding products for me because the pressure was on a top level. People didn't believe to me that it could possibly happen till the very and I would say even till the first couple months of production use of the product and significant amount of positive uh, feedbacks. So they didn't, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to understand the, the, what the struggle was. The struggle was that they did not believe that you will be able to build better solution provided what they had. They just wanted to replace it to something more modern. Not, not just that they didn't believe uh, that it will be possible. Uh, for them, it was like a pure aventure that they spent some amount of money because they point was to prove that I'm wrong and they don't need to apply the same principles uh, for the okay, product. And what was your, what were, sorry, what were your winning arguments? Uh, my winning arguments was I don't have a silver bullet. I don't believe it. But we have some good recipes that uh, we can have long handing fruits. And as a result, or win hearts of the end users and to show other opportunities. I didn't promise them that we'll solve all kind of problems that they have. I just promised to them that we'll be able to help in a specific areas. And I try to, to be very, uh, not uh, pessimistic, but my prognosis was like, hey, uh, and my play game was you need to spend uh, X amount of money not to solve all your problems, but this will improve uh, your situation here and there. But we will use not like lift and shift, which will be just a little bit uh, cheaper that I need. Uh, to help you, but it will open for us opportunity to go deeper to uh, more essential problems that you have. So my point that uh, my fight was for a small win, they fight was for a bigger win, and they fight was against mine. And uh, in the end, it sounds like, wow, you build a product that uh, people really appreciate. And as a matter of fact, this company is still our client. And as far as I know, they just recently asked additional help for other products. But it was a crucial moment how you can survive. It was like three months of nonstop work day by day. So in the end, when we very often listen, oh, successful story. Uh, on, behind any successful story, there is a number of small or large failures 
and this is reality. Uh, my takeaway from here for audience that even if you need to fail a number of times during the day, but you, it's still aligned with your strategy and you don't have like a red flag that you need to stop, you need to continue and you need to continue work harder on the things. Because very often when we see a night white papers, videos, oh, it was so cool project. We've came, we see the problem, we solve it. Uh, and we bring uh, like 20% of savings. That means that uh, most likely, not often, but most likely people try to solve bigger problem and potentially they spend much more money that these savings will help you in the next five to seven years. So it's important to check the reality and understand what was really done and how difficult it was. So my point, there is almost no quick and simple wins in product management. Yeah, I would, I would actually agree with that. As someone who's been fighting these battles uh, daily, uh, most of my time being the product manager, I, I can totally relate to that. One more thing that I wanted to kind of stress, and that would be my next question for you, is... Uh, you got to have certain level of skill and certain level of chops, if you will, to, to be able to fight these battles, to be able to fight these battles every day. And to me, I mean, you, you've been around a number of years. I've been around a number of years in a product management roles. We kind of take it for granted. But what I'm seeing uh, in, uh, in a lot of cases are people who think they need to read a couple of books or you know, get an MBA. That's my personal pet peeve. And they're golden. They they can go and, and do product management in the mass. So what is your take on that? What do you think uh, they're lacking or what do you think is needed? And Irina, if you have anything to add, feel free to chime in. So, yeah, <laughs> let's put it this way. To have an MBA is definitely a plus. And, it's, uh, and I want to be a very... Mm, uh, uh, very specific here. Any good education is definitely a plus. Intelligent person always can utilize this experience, uh, this experience uh, in education or uh, let's say you've finished a number of uh, certificate programs. It's good. Uh, you gain something new, but it's important how much of this knowledge you can apply in reality, in the situation, because you can have all knowledge and you basically can stand, freeze, and not doing anything at, at, at all. And this is how we differentiate one gr group of, let's say, product managers who can act right now, and another group of uh, product managers who don't have, or they also could have, uh, my point, have education is not a bad thing. It's not a guarantee that you can uh, solve real problems. So in terms of the like uh, what I recommend to do, again, it depends where you are in your career path right now. If you already have some experience, let's say in engineering or marketing, and for some reason you said, oh, I want to be a product manager. I saw that cool video on Netflix. I want to be like that guy. It's a good inspiration point but definitely you need to go A to Z at least couple times 
and you need to be ready that you fail a number of times before you will be able to do something that will bring you um, satisfaction. Oh, I'm a very successful product manager. I've done this and that. That is why many companies who hire uh, interns or fresh graduated, even like position intern for a product manager position, they understand this in, in, in many cases, and they provide for you some work that will be useful for them, fresh blood, new fresh ideas. But at the same time, I don't believe that any product manager who has enough weight in organization will put his stake on a person who could be extremely bright but didn't done this before at least some amount uh, number of times of course he will take in consideration his experience but product management it's an area when you need to have um, some statistics not just because people think that you are not smart enough just to make sure that your decisions are not just based on academics and they based on a real production experience again a tricky point and kind of a very very thin uh, border here it's how you transform things and i will try to provide a couple examples here oh i need to build uh, I, I need to provide a new product to have new users for this and that and you start building amazing products you do a lot of research uh just like you studied in a good university of yours and everything by book good and if you look from the first site you see hmm, not bad it's actually a great plan but it will work first if you have enough budget if you don't have a problems and that's it it's like uh, com comparing uh, uh, pilots of airplanes okay. um, one, uh, if you don't have enough hours you can be bright you can have all skill all essential foundational skills all knowledge but before you pass like golden amount of hours people will not be able to believe that uh, not just believe uh, they will never give you a airplane with 500 passengers and uh, they will tell you now you're responsible for this and the same situation here if we are talking about small student project why not yes of course if we are talking about product uh, project and corresponding product with a huge budget and potential effect for entire organization uh, this is exactly the situation when you don't have a second chance yeah i just wanted really quickly to chime in over here so Vlad, coming back to your question about the education right and and mba for product managers um being a hiring manager for, for product managers in our company i can tell that we didn't reject any single person because he or she didn't have a, an appropriate education and uh mba is definitely a plus but this is 
this still doesn't give you a sign that this candidate will do better than anybody else. A part of that, we were doing um, a research whether there is a standard certification of standard education that you can take for product managers, similar for like PMI for project managers, for example, that would be recognized all over the world and that would guarantee that you're kind of talking to the person who knows what the product management is about. And um, unfortunately, this research didn't um, take us to the conclusion, didn't take us to the position when we found one certification of one program that would give you this recognition as a worldwide uh, product manager. Um, so with that, I would say that education and the right education is definitely a plus, but still a practical experience and um, the records that you have experience of launching products would matter much more during the interview, during the hiring process, comparing to the education itself. So MBA, yes, if you can do that, but if you think that MBA will take you to the great uh, product manager position, then no, unfortunately, this is not true. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Now that I've asked this question, I probably should provide some, some sort of a response to that as well, since you both have chimed in. Personally, I can't say I don't believe in the education, but I believe I, I believe more in a practical experience. So practical experience in my book wins uh, wins over day and night uh, over just having a, even a really good education. And I agree, uh, any good education is good. Any education is good, but um, nothing beats practical experience. And in my book, yeah. And I just want to add that there are common again as a practical tale take away from this conversation for the people who listen us or will read us uh, that there are some good recipes that helps like uh, popular uh, communities that uh, bring attention of successful product managers or people who somehow uh, affects product uh, pro product creation and uh, creation growth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, everything related to the product, it helps because in this case you don't need to run your own products, like a number of products, and you still can gain insights from the people, or like from their practical experience. It's one useful thing. Another useful thing, it's like not a single book, but to keep kind of your your own your own I don't know Bible or navigation guide what uh, what you're looking uh, afterwards. So, for example, when I work for a specific industry or for a specific product, I always have like, hey, these top ten guys or these top top firms. For some reason, I think that they are leaders, like real readers in these areas. It doesn't mean that they do everything correct, but at least reality check with them is a good starting point for validation any of your ideas. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, just for the record, uh, we're almost at the time, uh, so I want to uh, start wrapping up. And uh, as one of my regular questions i'm going to skip one because we're all working from home one of my regular questions is how does it feel to work from home uh we've been doing this for quite a while so i don't think that that is big anymore 
But uh, the other one is, uh, again, it's a regular question I ask every time on my podcast. Do you have any questions for Irina or myself? Kind of turn the tables around, let you ask questions instead of answering them. Oh, I will be happy if we can extend your podcast to some kind of a workshop and bring uh, questions from uh, from the audience or do follow-ups. It will we, be great. Yeah, we'll do that <laughs> eventually when we have enough questions. We actually did one of the episodes. We did uh, only around the questions from the audience. Uh, so that next one might be in order soon. Uh, this one is just for you if you have anything to ask. Um, what is your favorite? What is your favorite failure from your experience? Like a quick example in couple or in couple uh, sentences. <laughs> it was over engineered solution for an, yet another manager uh, for clients of our uh, product. So we had a product uh, it was a community around the product, and uh, we thought about building yet another messenger as both uh, the channel for critical alerts and marketing messages failed gloriously because nobody needs another messenger. And what was your takeaway from that uh, amazing failure? My personal takeaway was uh, it's good to experiment because we spent two weeks of part-time work and probably about $50 on this experiment instead of spending several months and uh, a few dozens of dollars, a few, few thousands of dollars on building the prototype that we wanted to build. Cool. And I have a quick question for Irina as well. Uh, what drives you to keep running and because we work for the same company i'm familiar that rena is doing amazing job not just as a practical uh, professional but also as a, a very uh, proactive uh, uh, person in a product management community what drives you uh, to work in this area Spreading the knowledge, making their making product manager, product managers, and product management as a true, real discipline and practice. You know, I I started as a developer myself. I uh, dad moved to business analysis, and now I'm in product management. And people tend to think that uh, when they're in product manager position, they can just sit back, relax, and do nothing. So they are taking that as a goal to dream of their career path. And to me, um, I would like people to know what are the trade-offs of this profession, to know what the real product management is about. And that's one of the reasons why we are doing this podcast and probably even a bit correlates with the name of this podcast. And um, I would like to have more experienced and more skilled product managers around myself in order to learn from them and not just spread the knowledge and educate them. So, you know, we all would like to grow. So we all would like to uh, learn new things, educate ourselves and Having the right people around is basically the easiest way to do that, in my mind. Amazing. Thank you. 
All right. Thanks, everybody. It's been really great conversation. And we're right at the time. First time in the past six or seven episodes. So I don't think we should be watching time that closely anymore. So Nikolai, thank you very much for being our guest on the podcast. Thank you for invitation. It was a real pleasure. And I'm looking uh, to join your bigger events with uh, workshops and audience full of questions. Hopefully we'll get there. Irina, thank you so much for helping me with this episode. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you and talk to you next time, guys. All right. Thank you, guys, and talk to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to The Real World Product Management, and I've been your host, Vlad Grubman. Until the next time...